You're listening to Savage Wonder, a podcast about warriors and artists. This show is a long-form one-on-one conversation with a veteran in the arts. This show is produced by Veterans Repertory Theater, which is a tax-exempt nonprofit 501c3 organization, which provides a platform for talented veterans to create compelling live theater and events. Before I get into this week's episode, I want to just do a little bit of housekeeping. I apologize for the last couple months. There have been some episodes that have had really shitty audio. And of course, it was an easy fix. And of course, I took the scenic route to figure out what that fix was. So I apologize it didn't get fixed in time. But suffice to say, the audio has been fixed. It shouldn't be a problem again. I know what to check, how to check it. And uh, hopefully that will increase your listening pleasure going forward. So I want to start off by saying that. Secondly, this week's episode is fucking awesome. Uh, I had so much fun talking with Tyrone McFarland. So Ty is, should I talk about how I, he got referred to me? Now, let me not because I don't want to give away too much information yet because there'll be some cool stuff coming up um, that I don't want to spoil. But Ty is the very first circus performer we've ever had on the show that is a veteran. Crazy, right? I mean, who the hell thinks of that? I thought we'd, you know, every time I think we've covered every possible media that, uh, an artistic media that a veteran could be in, I'm then reminded of a whole bunch more that, that we haven't tracked people down in. Um, if you happen to know another veteran in the circus world, by all means, let me know. Because um, talking with Ty was so much fun. And I'll be honest with you. I mean, we, we talk about his military career. He was in for 13 years. Um, his father was a career um, army chief and then went on to have a career in law enforcement. And, uh, you know, so there's a lot of military history in Ty's life. His sisters are in the military. So, you know, a lot of military background there. I, we couldn't get to it from a lot of it, hopefully in the future. But we couldn't get to it in this in this episode for a lot of reasons because I was just so fucking eager to talk to him about circus life and what that was like, especially with his background, coming into the circus, figuring out the dynamic, learning more about just circus history, even just the history he's been witness to, but also the history of, of circus and, and the cultural um, exchange that kind of happens by virtue of being part of a circus. Anyway, it was so freaking interesting. I couldn't, um, sorry, I said ficking. I, I didn't know what to say fucking or fricking, but anyway, whatever. Um, it was, whatever it was, it was so effing interesting that uh, by the time I was like, crap, we should back this up and get the chronology right and learn more about Ty's very interesting childhood and early years, uh, I felt like we'd kind of shot our load. So anyway, to be continued, hopefully Ty and I do a couple more of these uh, at some point as events warrant. Um, there's a bunch of things. So I guess I do have to talk about the background of uh, how Ty got referred to me. So um, Ty was, uh, we were looking at doing a Wonderground or we're doing a Wonderground in uh, September and um, I was looking to bring Ty on. I didn't realize he lived in South Carolina. And that kind of crushes our whole profit margin and everything. So it didn't make it feasible for September. Um, but I was like, but hey, I'd still love to talk to you on the podcast because that would be freaking interesting as hell. 
and it was. Um, some things about Ty you should know that we don't totally dive into in the episode, but he references that he had a full-time job while he was serving in the National Guard. He had a full-time job uh, doing driver certifications in uh, South Carolina. Um, so that's what he's talking about when you hear him talk about his job, his full-time job, and doing license certifications and all that. That's what that means. Uh, I don't think there's anything else you really need to know going into the episode. I just had a great time talking with him. Such an interesting guy. Um, and I love his outlook on life. And I love some of these. I really appreciate that he was willing to slow down and examine and put under a microscope some of the major inflection points in his life and dev out some really interesting ways of thinking and how his thinking had changed and, and all that. But anyway, you're going to enjoy the hell out of this episode. It was, um, yeah, so much fun talking to him. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer. I'm the artistic director at Veterans Repertory Theater. And this is the savage wonder of Ty McFarlane. Welcome to the show, Ty. Hey, thank you for having me, Chris. Glad uh, to be here. I'm, I'm glad you're here, too. It's a lot easier for you to be in South Carolina and us to do this than it is to do stuff in person with you in South Carolina. Yeah. <laughs> I'm true. so bummed. I'm so bummed about that, man. I was like, oh, God, we'll figure out something in the future. I, I got to figure out a way to get you up here. Um, dude, well, listen, this is a first for us. This is the first time we've ever had circus folk on the show. This is a whole new area of artistic media that I've not even ventured into. So let me start with the obvious question. Why? Why did you get into theater or into the circus? Actually, uh, you know, I, I started off in theater. So why did I get into the circus? Um, I have to tell you, Chris, uh, it wasn't it wasn't as if I was looking to join a circus. Um, after my, my military career or my stint in the military, and even even through the military, I, I'd always had a passion for performing. You know, I was always the one uh, calling cadences. So I always had this passion for performing. So um, I decided to uh, to decline my commission and pursue some of my life's passions. So I um, I started off in, in the music business <clears throat> and uh, ended up ended up getting uh, a major record deal with uh, a label called Critique Records. Um, Paul McCartney was on that label. And um, during wait, the time... When, sorry, wait, when was this? Were you in high school, oh, co like was, college age? No, this was... Yeah, this was uh, college. This was college. Wow. Yeah. And, and what was it? What were you? What, what kind of music were you doing? I was R&B. Okay. Uh, yeah, R&B. I was the lead singer for, for a group called Brother Man. And... Um, and, you know, it was pretty, pretty hot. We had a song called Black Girl, which was our, our, our first single. And uh, Critique Records, they, they, they decided to, uh, to, to put out a single or to at least give us a shot at a single deal. But I was going through some issues with, uh, with my producer at the time. Uh, he, was, he was going through some, some marital issues and, and we couldn't keep him in the studio. And uh, we ended up losing the deal. And uh, we, we had another commitment from a another record label, Electra. Yeah, I remember Electra. And sure. 
Yeah, Electra. Yeah. And uh same thing happened, man. We just we we could not keep our our producer in the um, in the studio and so we ended up losing that deal. And so someone uh someone suggested to me, hey, since you love music so much and singing, why don't you go and 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 perform in, in local theater here in Columbia, South Carolina? So Wait, oh, I, oh, I went, Ty, Ty, hold on a second. I gotta uh, interrupt. Hold, sure, hold on a sec. Sure, sure. What was going on with these producers? When you say you couldn't keep them in the studio, what does that mean? I mean, yeah. I mean get into it as much or as little as you want, obviously, but I mean, sure, that sure. just sounds crazy. It, well, you know, love is a crazy thing. So the, uh, and I, I won't, won't say his name, but this particular uh, producer, he was going through his, his second divorce and, um, and we just couldn't, we just couldn't get him to focus in the, in the, uh, in the studio as we needed him to. Not enough, not enough to, uh, you know, to keep the record company, you know, um, in our corner. So we ended up losing the deal. And, uh, you know, I, I, that's, that's as much as I'd want to get into that part of it. But I mean, we're still good friends to this day, but uh, it, it was just one of those, those things that happened. Man. But, but that so, happened again at Electra. It happened twice. <laughs> it did. Yes. It did. Not with this. And this wasn't the same producer, was it? Same, same guy. Oh God. Oh, jeez. Oh man. Oh yeah. God, that's hard. I mean, so sorry, just, just to dwell on this for a second, you don't have to get into details, but I'd love sure, to know sure. for you, uh, how did how did you take that? I mean, did you go? That is a sign from God that I'm not supposed to be doing this, or did you go? Uh, you is, know, were you frustrated? Were you angry? Like, I mean, that's got to be all pretty... of the all of the above, all of the above. Yeah. And 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 looking back on it, I I believe that it had been a sign because um, because I, I have several friends who've gone on to be you know uh, pretty pretty famous in the in the music industry, and um, and and. I can look at their lives now and 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 be thankful that that it hadn't happened to me. So Why? I was frustrated what, at the time. What, what, Why? What would, yeah, what would have been dangerous about that for you? Well, uh, I can only compare it to what I do now, Chris. Okay, you know, in the circus, sure. I am not. I am not so big of a of a celebrity that I can't have a life, and I, I just don't. I just. Looking back on my life now, I, I wouldn't want that. I wouldn't mm. want not being able to walk down the street and and have to um, you know have to cater to to every every person you know wanting an autograph, wanting you know a picture. And so, I, as I said, I have mm. friends right now who are you know in their own right, yeah, relatively famous, and uh, and I'm just in a different headspace now. I'm, I'm just glad that it it didn't happen. Uh, that's a great reason. That's a great reason. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's a really positive reason. Wow. So anyway, so I interrupted you. So so when that sure. craps out, now suddenly you pivot to theater? Yeah, I pivoted to theater and um and musical theater uh specifically. Sure. So I started off in uh in local theater here in Columbia, South Carolina. And what ended up happening is I love the acting part of it so much that I kind of stuck with the acting. And so I ended up, uh, I ended up getting an agent uh, here in South Carolina, and um, ended up landing a couple of uh, a couple of spots on television. So uh, there was a there was a television show a few years ago called Dawson's Creek, and of um, yeah. Ended, yeah, ended up playing a couple of spots on that show. Um, another show was I was Charlie in a show called One Tree Hill. <laughs> yeah, um, sure. <laughs> he played a played a couple of shows, Army Wives, uh, Drop Dead Diva. 
So I, I love the acting side of it. I just got to stuck with the acting. But once again, um, wasn't so big of an actor that that people would recognize me every time I, I left my home. And, you know, and and uh, and I'm, I'm still very happy, happy about that. Were, but, were these jobs finding you in South Carolina or were you going to New York and L.A. to audition? They were finding me in South Carolina. Wow. Believe it or not, man. Were they all yeah, being shot was, there? Is that why? Um, Wilmington is is like third in the nation in terms of film production. So Wilmington, North Carolina, yes. Many, many television shows and, and films uh, uh, come out of Wilmington. So I didn't have to go very far to, to be uh, a relatively sizable fish here in, in this sure. small pond. Sure. Now, I had been asked to come out to L.A. and to New York to do some other things. But, um, you know, I declined the offer because, once again, I I, I started to, to move into a different headspace. I just didn't. I didn't want the, the fame. I didn't want the, you know, the, the, the fortune like I thought I did. And um, and uh, long story short, uh, I would, after doing a, a show here in Columbia, South Carolina, Jesus Christ Superstar, um, there was a young lady that I ended up working with. She was in professional theater. She had flown out to uh, to Rock Island, Illinois. And it turns out she was doing a production out there and they needed a tenor. And she uh, immediately contacted me and said, hey, we need a tenor. Can you fly out? And, uh, and it was uh, it was my first opportunity in professional theater. So I went out to Rock Island, Illinois, and and performed uh, a show out there called Showboat. Yeah, sure. And the uh, the director there, uh, he he contacted me. I had flown back into Columbia, South Carolina after that show had, had completed, had, had finished. And uh, he, he called me. He said, hey, Ty, he said, um, have you ever thought about being in the circus? I said, no, I've never I've, I've never even gone to the circus before in my life, not even as a child. And he really? said, Ringling Brothers. Yeah, I've never gone to the circus before. <laughs> he said, Ringling Brothers is looking for a ringmaster. And he said, I think you would be a great ringmaster. And so um, he was able to get me an audition. Uh, Ringling Brothers had actually closed auditions. I was scheduled to be uh, after, of course, he was able to uh, to schedule me an audition because the the director for that show, Phil McKinley, who's who's done some pretty pretty uh, pretty successful things in the past, uh, he was directing the show for Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. Mm-hmm. And Phil McKinley uh, was uh, was one of his students, his his, uh, his acting students in years past. And wow. He was able to contact Phil and say, hey, look, I have this guy I think you guys should, should see. And they said, well, we closed auditions, but if he can get down to Florida tomorrow, you know, we'll give him a shot. So long story short, with the shirt on my back, I drove to Florida and... Um, and uh, the rest is history. I, I ended up, you know, becoming the the thirty fourth ringmaster in the history of Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. Okay, so so there's a lot I want to dive into of granular details in this. Um, let's work backwards from that moment. What was the audition like? How do they audition a ringmaster? What's the, I, I don't I don't even know what they would ask you to do. Well, nor did I, Chris. Uh, <laughs> nor did I. I was I was. Because once again, I, I I had no idea what a ringmaster did, but I was I was told beforehand to to at least take several sheets of 
of music because they will, they will have me to sing. And, um, the, the unfortunate thing is when I'd flown in from Rock Island, Illinois, back to Columbia, South Carolina, and went to resume my, my full-time job as a license examiner here in the state of South Carolina, the airlines lost my luggage and they lost all of my music. And needless to say, I, I needed to be in, in Florida the next day. No luggage, no music. So I was able to grab uh, a folder that I had sitting on my table and I knew had knew had some sheet music in there. I didn't know what it was. Took that with me, drove the Florida shirt on my back with this folder. I had no idea what was in the folder. So one thing they had me to do was to, to sing a song. And then, uh, and then after the song, um, and by the way, the, the, <laughs> when I went to look into the folder, it was just the gigolo by David Lee Roth. And, uh, and I was able, I had the piano accompaniment. So I was able to hand that to the, the pianist and he was able to bang it out on the, on the, on the piano and they loved it. They loved it. And, uh, after, <laughs> wait, okay. Hold on a sec. Wait. So did, I mean, you knew the music. I mean, do you, so clearly you didn't rehearse anything specifically for this audition, Reverse. right? Correct. Correct. And but had you prepared the, the song in the past? I mean, you must have done it because you had the sheet music, just right? Just the gigolo everywhere I go. I know. I I just knew the song from from having watched David Lee the Lee Roth on 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 uh, what was it MTV at that time, and uh, and so I was just able to follow along with the, with the with the pianist, and I I just banged it out, and 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 they were like, wow, wow. and it just so happened that uh, that song was was a song at, at least from their their perspective that showed character mm. and um and that's what they were looking for and then and then of course they had me to uh to use use my my speaking voice as if i were in, in uh, an arena of thousands of people and how would i say this ladies and gentlemen children of all ages you know and that kind of thing and so <laughs> <laughs> and so after which, you know, I did my audition. Oh, by the way, when I'd flown back in from Rock Island, Illinois, I was I was out there for about four months doing that gig. I had to take a leave of absence from my full time job. And when I'd flown back in, uh, that was when I got the call from from Denny, you know, asking if I could go to Florida like on Thursday and this was on a Wednesday and I was back at work and I asked my boss lady, I said, Hey, you know, will you allow for me to drive to Florida tomorrow? She said, no, you just got back. No, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm oh sorry. God. No, I'm not going to let you go. Well, anyway, I asked her again. She said, no. And then, uh, you know, I, I prayed, I was doing a, uh, an examination of, I was, I was giving someone an exam for a tractor trailer and within Three minutes of that prayer, my phone rang and said, and it was Denny. He said, hey, Ty, we were able to get you an audition. You just need to be in Florida tomorrow at one o'clock. And I said, okay. So I went to work that next day, Chris, and I clocked out. I clocked in and clocked out and drove to Florida. Uh, it's like seven o'clock in the morning. I was able to get there right at one o'clock, right at my audition. Like I said, with the shirt on my back, with that folder, that sheet music. There were, there were 40 other people in that building, you know, that had flown in from Australia, from, from all over the world to audition for this gig. And, 
And after my audition, you know, they, they said, Hey, are you going to be hanging around? I said, yeah, I don't have anywhere to go. I lost my job of 13 years, had a brand new baby wife. Didn't know what I was going to do. I left the building and within five minutes of, of having left the building, my phone rang and, and it was Bill McKinley. He said, Hey, Ty, he said, this is Phil. He said, are you, are you still in the area? I said, yeah, I, I literally just pulled out of the parking lot. He said, can you come back? And I said, sure. I'll just, I'll just turn around. I thought maybe I'd left something in the building. <laughs> when I, when I parked, I got out of my car and, and he met, he met me outside and he was on the phone. He said, yeah, he's here. He said, okay, bye-bye. He said, Ty, uh, Phil McKinley. He sh- I shook his hand. He said, just to let you know, the, the little guy that was at the end of the table, his name is Kenneth Feld. He owns Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. <laughs> I just want you to know that he doesn't want to audition anyone else. He wants you to be his ringmaster. Oh. And I was just floored. And I, and I, he said, now, when we walk back in here, I just want you to follow me because he still plans to give these people some sort of an audition because people have paid thousands in, in airline fees to be there. And he said, but I just want you to walk behind me as if, you know, you're just coming back in. He said, but if, if you want the gig, the gig is yours. And he said, I'm going to pull you to a separate room, neg- negotiate your contract, but we're going to run through these auditions. And, uh, and he said, welcome aboard. And, and, and the rest is history. But I learned something. I learned something behind that. I cried all the way to Florida, by the way, because I, I, I knew that I was losing my job. But what I believe is uh, I believe that that uh, God or whatever, whatever our listeners serve or respond to. Hey, it's you what know, you believe. Not, it's your life. It's, what, <laughs> it's all it's good. What you believe it's what you, and, and, you know, and I don't I don't knock anyone for what they believe. But uh, but I absolutely believe in a higher power. Now, how we define that, I can't necessarily say. But what I do believe what I do believe is that we are required to jump off the cliff first and believe that we mm. grow wings before we hit the mm-hmm. ground. Mm-hmm. And from that, from that, I promise to never live my life in fear uh, again of going after some of the things that I, that I want. And that was the beginning of, of a, a new life for me. And, and, um, and, and if there's anything that I, that I go after, I, I go at it full tilt and, and, and make it happen for as much as I can, but never to live in fear again. I, That's I how I became the ringmaster. <laughs> it's a incredible story. And I'm not done with that story yet. Uh, there, there's so much in there. And, um, but I want to start with this. I don't want to make too much of what you just said, but I also don't want to brush off what I think could be a key point. Were you a different person by the time you arrived in Florida than you were when you left Columbia to start going down there? I was, but I didn't, I didn't know how different I, I had become. I was different because I I knew that I knew that I just, there was something telling me to turn around, go back to your, go back. Mm -hmm. You're losing everything. And, but something kept me going. And so there was, there was a transition that, that was happening as I was, as I was crossing through Savannah and I was, Mm -hmm. I just kept driving. Um, I absolutely became a different person upon having, having gotten the job. What I was told after I negotiated my contract, of course, they waited until I negotiated the contract before they told me this. 
But they said, Ty, when you walked in the door, you had the job just by virtue of how you walked in. And I have to attribute that to my military because, uh, you know, I always I'd always learned in the military, you know, to walk, you know, a certain way. And my father, I come from a big military family. My father would, would always tell me, you know, take big, big strides when you walk and pull mm. your shoulders back. Mm. And they said, when you walked in, just by virtue of how you walked in, you had the job. But when you sang and when you announced for us, that sealed the deal for you. So I'm saying that, Chris, to say the, the, the path had already been prepared for me and had already been established. I just had to step into it. And I, it's analogous to a, a wide receiver. And a quarterback, a quarterback doesn't throw the football to the wide receiver. The quarterback will throw the football where he believes the wide receiver is going to be. The wide receiver just has to go to where the ball is going to be to to receive the ball. And so I'm saying that to say, I believe that if our if our hearts are in the right place and we and we we put everything on the line and go after something, the universe will bring it to us. We just have to go towards it to receive it. That is, um, I, I couldn't agree more. And I love that how you put that. I love that, that analogy. I got to ask some more granular questions about this just to fully, I don't know, walk a mile in your shoes in that audition. Who were the other people that were at this audition? So obviously they closed auditions, but they'd opened it, given you a special spot, but I guess they'd also opened it for at least 40 other people that were there, right. For the same position. I mean, what did you notice? So I, I know from my old acting days, especially in LA, walking into an audition room and seeing 40 of you is, can be unnerving. Did you have that experience? Was it, were you looking at 40 of you or were you looking going, no, I am truly different, distinct from all these other folks. That is a great, great question. And the reason I said that's a great question is it's, it's not like most acting auditions where, where they were profiling or looking for mm. uh, a guy who has a certain build, uh, African-American perhaps, or who could play Latino, um, you know, where all of the people going for that particular job look like me. No, mm. this was totally different. And the reason it was totally different is I'm only the, the second African-American ringmaster in the history of Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. Uh, the, the first, um, the first African-American uh, and he is the the youngest ever. Um, the title goes to Jonathan Lee Iverson, and he's actually a, a New York native as well. Mm. But um, but I'm saying that to say there were people in there from all walks of life, you know. Um, and I didn't have much of an opportunity to speak to them because I got there right at my audition time. And uh, and I had an opportunity to look to see how many people were there, but no, uh, everyone, black, white, Asian, Canadian. What uh, what about the build? You talked because you talked about your bearing going in. Did they? Because my sense of a ringmaster is probably everybody, no matter what their demographic is, should have that sort of presence in some way, shape, or form. Did you? Could you detect that in the brief time that you saw them, or were they really? looking for all different types and you might have like this, you know, Dickensian Uriah heap type, or you might have someone with a big booming voice. I mean, like how, what was, what was the, was there a type that you could see or was it too difficult to tell? 
Well, it, it, traditionally, the ringmaster had been known for being, you know, uh, a relatively large stature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But um, but everyone was sitting down, so it, it was difficult for mm-hmm. me to to to, to glean that okay. off the muscle. But um, but I I'd known that to be kind of what a ringmaster, uh, you know, traditionally possessed in terms of 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 character, in terms of character, in terms of stature. But I couldn't really I couldn't really glean that, or I couldn't really gotcha. discern that from from the number of people that were there. However. You know, Ringling Brothers is the longest running show on on the planet. Uh, Ringling Brothers is older than American baseball. So uh. a lot of people don't realize that. And I'm saying that to say when you when you're as big as Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus, you you choose whomever you want to be a ringmaster. Yeah. yeah. And as a matter of fact, uh, one of the one of the the last ringmasters that we had to uh, to host the show before Ringling decided to shut down a few years ago was a female. Mm-hmm. So, um, and they, they completely broke the mold in terms of, sure. of that traditional ringmaster. Sure. Um, yeah, and so, uh, and then, and then the, the big apple circus, which is in New York city, um, they now have the, the, the ringmaster hosting that show. Yeah. He's a, he's a small guy and, huh. on America's got talent. He's a very talented guy, but you know he's. I don't know how to to say this uh, correctly, but uh, uh, you he's, know he's 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 the he's the short he's a small person. A small person. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Very talented. He's an aerialist as well. So wow. Yeah. So so that that traditional ringmaster uh, ringmaster um, profile is is yeah. not necessarily. Uh, you know, consistent across the board anymore. So I, I, I got to ask about your expectations also going in. Did you know, I mean, you knew you had to sing. That's why you grabbed the sheet music. First off, I didn't realize that was a stipulation or that would be a requirement for a ringmaster audition Are all ringmasters. Is there a component that where they always want you to sing or, or is it just to test out your voice and just see if you got the pipes to, address an audience like how standard is that to sing well from from my understanding uh of of the history of ringmasters it it had it had become a standard okay to have uh, a singing voice because uh there were production numbers that needed to be sung the introduction of the show and what we call the uh the spec which is the uh which is halftime so to speak mm-hmm. so uh from what i'd learned uh, and once again, I didn't know anything about ringmastering. I was just told, bring some sheet music. You're going to be asked yeah. to sing a song. And, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't a shock to me because I, I'd done musical theater. So sure. Sure. singing was, yeah, but, but great question. No ringmasters had, uh, in times past. And as far as I can remember, um, were required to have a relatively decent singing voice. Okay. Mm-hmm. What room, what what size room did they audition you in? Was it just a normal audition room? Was it just a, a blank rehearsal studio? Or was it, did they actually put you on a stage and kind of see your stage presence in a bigger space? It was, uh, it was a room. Um, it was just a normal conference room. 
<laughs> comfort sound, sound, size room. Yeah. Wow. And uh, there was there was a panel of about 30 people. And, uh, you know, a, a table of about 30 people. 30 people. And, uh, wow. Yeah. Holy 30 crimity. people. Why? Yeah. Who are all these people? Well, well, Ringling Brothers, Ringling Brothers is an incredible machine. Ringling Brothers, and I think I think you and I had uh, spoken about this. Ringling Brothers had had been responsible in the past for for assisting the the military in writing their standard operating procedures when it comes to to packing, loading in, and loading out equipment because of how how huge Ringling Brothers is and how efficient their system is. Wow. So I'm saying that to say. Ringling Brothers, because it is such a machine, it has so many people that that work behind the scenes to ensure that uh, that this show is the best possible show that it can be. And so, some of the people that were there, you had I know from uh, from from later having gotten the job and being introduced to some of the people that I recognized, I had costume designers there that wanted to see my body. They, uh, after I auditioned, they said, they, they got together and said, do we, do you think we can fit this guy pretty easily? Yes. You had costume designers there. You had um, music, uh, the music director there. You had Kenneth Feld who owns monster trucks. He owns Ringling brothers and Barnum and Bailey circus, the doodle bops, Marvel. So um, he and his, his family, his daughters were there. Um, so you had everyone there, everyone that was a part of what they call the white model. Um, the white model is before they actually uh, audition for the show, they will do a, a white model version of the show. And they will actually have someone construct out of toothpicks, the, the tent, the, what the ringmaster is going to look like. And, and they have this, this huge model of, of the show and how everything is going to come in. And so you had, it's those a sand table. There. It's a sand so table exercise. Exactly. It is Holy exactly shit. That. Holy shit. Wow. That wow. Exactly that. It is incredible. And I didn't know how, I didn't know how, how extensive that process was until actually getting, getting hired and, and going back backstage to see, uh, everything that was involved in making that production what it what it what it is it, well, it's look, it's truly a marvel. I, I can't imagine, and I also am amazed that I mean, I guess not amazed. That's not the right word, but um, I'm I've got questions about the fact that they immediately went to a room, took you in there, and worked out the contract. Did you have any yes. left right limits? Did you I mean, you've never even seen a circus before at this point? You're coming from you're you're jet lagged or whatever. You know, you've been on the road getting down there. You're coming out of a musical. Did you even know what acceptable terms would be? I mean, how did how could you negotiate that? I didn't. I didn't have a point of reference uh, regarding the circus. If if I had known beforehand, I would have negotiated more, much more money. <laughs> sure, I'm sure, of course. And the right. reason I said that is because I. And by the way, I drove to Florida. I, I literally left my job that morning and drove to Florida, which is about a five hour drive. Yeah. Five to six hour drive. Um, as the ringmaster, if I had known that I would be performing 450 shows in 365 days, wow. I would have. No, I had a really good contract. Don't get me wrong. But 
you know, looking back on it retrospectively, I would have, I would have negotiated, you know, much more in my contract. What was the length? But of course, what, I didn't, what was the length of the contract? Uh, it was a two-year contract. Okay, because I mean, term. having given up your job, like that's kind of important, right? To go, hey, how long am I going to be employed? I mean, awesome, I'm a ringmaster, right. but is that for like two weeks or am I doing this for a while? Right? I mean, did you know two it was going to be a long-term gig? Uh, not until, uh, not until I was across the table from the, the negotiator, wow. Tim Holst. I didn't realize wow. it was going to be a two year stint. And I didn't realize to the extent that the ringmaster was going to be used. Um, I had a wife, yeah. so I was literally on the road for, you know, for two years. But, uh, fortunately for me, my wife, uh, she's a business owner and I was able to fly she and my, and my daughter out. My daughter, before she was the age of, of three, had flown to, to every state in, in the United States. Wow. Because they would come out and see me every, every, every week or every two weeks. And, and how, um, how long were you at each stop? How long does the circus pause in each location? Good question. Um, usually, New York City is, is our, our hard opening. And, um, and we would be there for, about two to three weeks, but most cities and, and such is the same with the West coast. Those are our largest venues, okay. but uh, moving from the East coast to the West coast and hitting just about every, every state, we would be in an area no more than a week, a, a week. Uh, and are you, are you bus and trucking it or how are you getting around? Or are you moving from location to location? The longest train in the world, literally, uh, the Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus has a train that's over a mile long. It's a dedicated and train. It's just their train. It's a dedicated train. Holy and crap! Every every performer, all of our rigging, everything gets loaded very efficiently. I might add onto these trains, even our animals. It is like Noah's Ark. Oh my our Lord. elephants, our our lions, our tigers, our bears, everything gets loaded on the train. And even our vehicles, the vehicles um, in my, my second tour, I negotiated having my vehicle, you know, transported. But most times I would just have someone to drive from city to city as I would take the train. I, and uh, it, it is one of the most amazing. I don't know if you've ever been on a, on a train before. Sure. But I mean, not like that. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, to fall asleep on the train, it, it, it is, it is just amazing. It just, it's just a gentle rock. Yeah. And I would, I would wake up some mornings, Chris, and uh, three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning. And I would walk out of my, my train car and, and stand on the, in the, in the vestibule area, but you know, before the area in between train cars. Right. Right. which would be exposed to the elements. And I, and I would just stand there and just look at the mountains and, and look at the, uh, the, the moon. It's just amazing. You know, it's incredible traveling, you know, across the United States on, on a train. It's just, it's incredible. Was, was this a, was that your de facto hotel as well? Or did they put you up once you were in town? That was my de facto hotel. Wow. That was where I lived. I, these train, the trains were literally equipped with, it was a little apartment. I had stove, microwave, oven, bed, shower, 
mean, it was a very, it was a relatively small room, you know, like a regular size room. But, um, you know, some of the, some of the performers uh, had larger spaces contingent upon whether or not they were a troop, like uh, our, our, our acrobats from China, they would have a larger dedicated space because they would all have to share that space. But uh, no, that was that was that was where I lived. After after the show, we would get on our the circus bus, and the bus would transport us from the arena back to where the train the train was parked in the train yard. So, my my only comparable experience was was doing a national tour twenty plus years ago, and but that was a bus and truck tour, um, not not as nice, and we had to get dropped off at hotels, but. I know what you mean about seeing America while you're doing a show and going from state to state. I, I can imagine, I can see that as a highlight. I can see how incredible that must've been, but drawing on my own experience, I got to ask, what was it like to suddenly be sharing this space on a regular basis with circus folk, not having come from the circus, not having been around them, you know, I mean, I, I think a lot of people, civilians, and by civilians, I mean non-performers, don't think about the fact that you're living cheek by jowl with everyone that's in the show all the time for, right. in this case, two years. How did you find that? How 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 did that strike you? Did it work for you? Did it? Were there some depressing moments, it or how did that work out? Completely changed my life even to this day. And I, I left Ringling Brothers in 2008, 2009. How has it changed my life? Well, number one, because of my, my career in the military, I'd always, I'd always learned and it been, been reinforced. Everyone's green in the military. Yeah. You know, so yeah. you learn, you learn to, you know, you learn to, to rely on your brother, whoever's in the foxhole with you, it doesn't matter who who they are, where they're from. That's your brother. He's going to save your life, and you're going to you're going to be required to save his. So, fortunately for me, I went into this this new world with that mindset, and I'm sure. glad that I did because, um, by virtue of my being the ringmaster, I had no idea what the ringmaster did, but. But the, my coworkers now, who were, who were generational circus performers, you know, who had this idea of what the circus was, they, in their own minds, had had established and 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 put the position of a ringmaster on a pedestal because the ringmaster runs the show. So I'm saying that to say, people treated me. People respected me. It was almost unnerving how how they huh. treated me, and 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 it was unnerving to me because I, you know, I'm not used to being treated the way that people were respecting me. But I had to humble myself because I I I come from humble beginnings, and then the military teaches me, you know, or taught mm -hmm. me that hey, everyone's the same. So when I was able to go to people, the, my Chinese, the Chinese guys who spoke very little English, and I would go and, and I would hug them and they and they understood that I was a person. I wasn't a ringmaster, but I was a real person. It it allowed for this 
this camaraderie and what what we know in the military to be the the esprit de corps mm-hmm. where where it was just a huge family and even even to this day i i'm i cook my wife loves that i cook because on on one day i'll cook chinese food food mm-hmm. that i learned from my my chinese brothers in the circus or i'll cook brazilian you know pounji queijo I'll, I'll cook i it, i just my experience with these people completely changed my life and what i learned was that you know no matter where where we go there we are mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter where you're from we are all the same and it was a wonderful opportunity for me to see that and for me to experience that and i can tell you beyond a doubt that there's not one place on this planet that i can't go where i will have a friend i can mm. go i can go to russia right now and call up my russian brothers and say hey i need a place to to, to stay for a week mm. and i'll have it every every place every everywhere on the globe i can do that just by virtue of of having spent that time with with performers from all over the world and and it, it's just it completely changed my life i i i love my wife tells me now she says you know what you don't you don't meet a stranger and i said you're right i i talk i engage everyone and it is just giving me such a huge love for people that is, i don't i don't want that to sound cliche or plastic, no 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 it's it's true well and 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 i'm starting to get a picture of that also based on what it seems like are the implied duties and obligations of being a ringmaster. Because if I'm hearing this right, and correct me if I'm if I'm off base here, it seems like there is a hierarchy in the circus. And there's kind of an assumed hierarchy where the ringmaster, I mean, yeah, you're the ringmaster in the show, but there's you're kind of that's how you sort of act, and not in a bad way, but just there's there's kind of um, you know, a, 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 it, it's kind of like being the quarterback of the football team, like, oh, you're the quarterback, exactly right? right? Like there's an That's implied correct. obligation. And traditionally, the ringmaster did much more than just host the show. The ringmaster, he he took care of all of the logistics as well. I mean, he literally ran the show, owned the show, purchased the show, purchased the performers. Uh, so he took care of everything, you know, with with the smaller with the smaller circuses and yeah. times past. Yeah. So so it's that it's out of that respect that people would revere my position as the ringmaster. Gotcha. But just to say them yeah, coming from sure. generations of circus folk, that was kind of yes. baked in their DNA, right? Like, that's, Oh, that's their ringmaster. That's, that's where I'm taking my, all my orders are coming from that tower right there. That is correct. That is yeah. correct. And, and you're talking about people who've had, uh, you know, great grandparents performing in ringling brothers, 1800s, you know, so and the generational, seventh generational, eighth generational circus performers. My good friend Nick Walenda comes from. Uh, no, no. Nick Walenda is the the guy that yeah. walked across the Grand Canyon. Sure. Yeah, he's a, he's a. I think he's a seventh generational circus performer as well. The and um, the circus. I mean, did you as somebody that had never been to the circus before you got hired? Did you? What was the learning curve like to learn the history of the circus? And how did you learn the history of the circus? Because I feel like that's implied if you're going to be the ringmaster that you kind of know the grand history of circus, right? 
And there's still so much to learn because <laughs> there's so many, there's so many layers, uh, you know, when you, when you look at the, the history of the circus. So I have to be honest and say that, yeah, there is a part of the history that was, that's, that's important for me to know, but, um, but not so much as it was important for me to know and to, um, to be able to speak to the the circus as as it existed today or as it mm. exists today, um, and I, I say that by virtue of the fact that uh, that as I was as I told you before, uh, performing not only did the ringmaster perform or did the sh- the show happen, we performed four hundred and fifty shows in three hundred and sixty five days, but in between those 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 shows, those show dates, when we were traveling from one city to the, to another, I would have to fly out before the show and do interviews, you know, with, with, uh, you know, good morning America and, and, and such. And so usually the they were, You're the face of the I was surface. the face and the voice wow. of the show. So wow. I had very little downtime, but, but much of what I needed to know was to be able to communicate what was going on in the show you know, oh, uh, what yeah. people were going to expect to see and then, and, and to, to be able to speak to the different performers that we had, you know, in the show for that moment, but there, there, there was a learning curve and there still is. I mean, I still learn today. I'm still learning in much, uh, much of the, the circus's history, uh, even now and, and how that's uh, completely changed my life. As you, as you, grew more comfortable as a ringmaster. I'm going to go back to when you first started in a, in a little bit, but I do have to ask, as you started to learn more and more, did you take a hand in building the shows? Because it seems like there's a sense of ownership when you're the ringmaster. Like it, it, you're the face of it. You're the voice of it. How much are you involved in the creative process of building a show? Not as much in the, um, in the beginning when I, when I first joined, there was, uh, in fact, I had, I had a couple of run-ins with the director. <laughs> because, really? Yeah, yeah. Because the the expectation, um, the expectation was for me to to settle into to um, becoming the ringmaster of old, the the ring, you know, the way that had been done in the past. And I had to just stand my ground and tell. You know, the director said, listen, you didn't hire me to be like the ringmasters 200 years ago. You're wanting me to watch videos and I'm not going to do that because because I believe that I have something pivotal and something something valuable to bring to this position as ringmaster. What what does that look like? What does that look like? So so like, yeah, what did that what did that mean? In my mind. In my mind, and this was a point of contention for the director because uh, it, it, he wanted me to be the the, the barker, the, the 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 type of person that you would see on you know on the boardwalk saying, "Step right up, step right uh, up, come in and see the beer." And I'm like, "That's not who I am." Yeah. And 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 fortunately for me, you know, I've done enough acting gigs to know that that when I audition for a character, I'm I, I become that character by virtue of putting myself in that character. So it's me who becomes the character. I'm not necessarily playing the character. 
I realized that I yeah. have something yeah. interesting to watch. And if I can marry those two, then I, it become it becomes interesting. And so that's kind of how I took the the role of ringmastering. And so to get back to your question, when they started to relax and allow for me to be me, they realized that they liked it. And I was, I became one of the, one of the like first dancing, singing ringmasters Ringling Brothers had, you know, because I was very physical with my, with my movements and they loved it. And uh, so by virtue of, of me holding to my, my, my guns, I did have some creative control later on, you know, in the, in the second tour you know, they, they, they relied on me a, a little, a little more heavily to say, Hey, Ty, you know, how do you want this to be? And the, and the music even changed. The music became a little more R and B ish kind of, oh, you know, interesting. Yeah. So I started to appeal to, I know that my appeal, um, I was able to tap into a market that Ringling had not necessarily seen before. Um, and, uh, and, and they started to gravitate towards, you know, appealing to that market as well. And when I say that market, I mean, I mean, you know, you had more African-American men and women coming to the show. You had more Latino women and men coming to the show, you know, and, and music changed and it, it, it just became more energetic. And I'm, that is not to say that it was never energetic. It was just in a different way. It was a different, a different spin that I was able to put, you know, and bring to the show. Circus, to my knowledge, has always had a strong international component. You talked about the fact you can go to any country and you'll have a friend there. Has that is that true? Has that always been the case? That's my perception of it. That like you know, if it's the eighteen nineties, you're going to have Chinese acrobats. You're going to have a Russian wrestling a bear. Like I, I don't, but you know, this is me from watching. You know wild wild west or something like you know i'm I'm not really basing this on a whole lot is, is that mm-hmm. accurate the international flair that the circus to, seems to always have sure i have to say that that is accurate but i also have to say that that's changing and i'm going to say i'm going to speak to your i'm going to speak to the first statement why do i believe it's accurate because when when you speak when you speak to generational circus performers like the walendas and the patriarch of the family, Carl Walenda, who who invented, I would say, if, if I have to say invented, I would say invented wire walking. Mm. Then what you have is you have a family that uh, that has their lineage in in Germany and 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 different different parts of the world that would that would become the the uh, the ultra successful professionals when it comes to that act. And that act was was invented by their family, and so they keep it in the family. So you will f- usually find wire walker walkers that will come from that part of the world. Such is the same with our Chinese acrobats. Their discipline is amazing. Their 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 training is incredible. I would rem- remember waking up at three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning sometimes, and I would see the the Chinese out doing. Uh, if if you can if you can imagine this a wooden box uh, you know about the size of a of a a hat box it was one little chinese girl she was uh, she was an acrobat but she was doing she would go down on one hand 
her body completely um, resting on, on her elbow yeah. and her hand is on this box. And she would push up into a handstand, one hand, wow. and her trainer had her doing that. And this is three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning. Yeah. So the discipline is much, much different than what I had, what I had observed here in the United States. So traditionally our acrobats would come from China and, and, and it was, it was that way. So um I don't know if that's making sense to you. It it would it would kind of be where Ringling Ringling knew to go and get its acrobats from China. Well, they knew to go and yeah. get their wire walkers from. It, it, it's interesting because it's it's almost like there's a self selection that certain regions are going to produce a certain kind of circus performer. That is correct, it, right? It, yes. And I and I guess so. I mean, I'm going to ask you questions that. You may or may not be able to answer, but I'll, I'll throw it out there because I don't know anyone else that could answer this better. If, um, how much is there kind of an institutional knowledge that wants to be withheld? Like, for example, the Walendas, they're like, look, this is our bread and butter. This is our brand. I don't necessarily want a lot of competition. I want us to be the ones that do this. I'm not really in the business to teach other people this. This is what we do. Is that, is that true or, or is there kind of a, um, or is it more uh, a, a sense of no? We want to we want to inspire everybody to go start doing this and and try to do it. Like, is there is there some sort of um, ulterior motive or uh, ulterior generosity of spirit, or is it a sense of no? I'm a professional, and yeah, if you want to knock yourself out and put in sixteen hours a day doing this, then God bless. But good luck. This, my family's been at this for seven generations, and this is how we make our living. So just try to keep up with us. Like, wh- where what's the attitude? I think there's a little bit of both. When okay. you consider when you consider the 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 success of of families and what these families have been known for, then what they do is they keep that in the family because that's 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 where their money comes from. That's their business. And they do keep it in their families, but they're certainly they're certainly open to to um to to spreading that 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 knowledge and that and that wealth of knowledge to anyone who wants to 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 come in and 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 learn the uh, the skill of wire walking. As a matter of fact, Nick Nick had asked me to get up on the wire a number of times, and it's just not my my wheelhouse. So I said, no, you know, you go ahead and you you do that. That's <laughs> not. I'll stay on the ground, you know. But 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 to to also to push back against that. With the advent of uh, the internet and the ability of people mm. to 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 pull up, you know, videos and see yeah. how things had been done in the past, you know, this you know, people are doing things now that was just unheard of back in the eighties, like taking a skateboard and riding, you know, and and popping a rail on a skateboard and and parkour, you know. So people are pushing the limits now. And I think that the uh, the advent of the the internet and just being exposed to what other yeah. people had in other countries had learned and and had you know had done, I think it's just uh, this the the world is just an open stage now where people are learning all kinds yeah. of things. That that makes so much sense to me. I mean, it's almost like martial arts. It's like, well, exactly. you don't just have to live in China to do kung fu anymore, right? It's like internet's kind of changed all that. Um, I want to ask this devoid of the context of 2023 because I don't, I, I don't mean for it to be a, a um, it's not. I'm not trying to ask this in a divisive way, but I'm I'm just kind of curious. 
does the circus lose some allure if everybody that you're seeing in the circus is American and you're like, oh, yeah, got it. Uh, I mean, that kid is from Kansas. And great. I'm glad he has that skill set. But there's but there's a sense of the exotic, I feel like, with the circus where you want to see people from all over the world because you want something that's, if not indigenous to that part of the world, you want to see it, there's there's a showmanship aspect, I feel like, to just having an international smorgasbord of talent in front of you um, that's kind of taken away if you're looking like, oh, well, I'm on the, this just looks like everybody I'm on the subway with every day. I, is correct. there something to that? I mean, and, and I mean, it's it's kind of a weird question, but it, it circus is just such a strange animal. I feel like that's a major part of the show is being plunged into a foreign world. And the less foreign it is, and the more familiar it is, the more that takes away from the circus. Does that kind of make sense? Absolutely, that makes plenty of sense. In fact, that was uh, that was one of the things that um, that I would I would make certain to to uh, allow for our audience members to to pay close attention to and to and to be mindful of the fact that we have performers from all over the world, and that does that does that it adds to the appeal certainly. Um, and, and, and we, it, it, it adds to the appeal by virtue of, of people just being different, mm-hmm. you know, culturally different. And it, and it gives people the, the opportunity to be exposed to different cultures and different, different ways of, 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 of having people do things that they may not have ever been exposed to otherwise. I, who, yeah. An example would be, and not to not to digress or not to not to divert, but part of the uh, the appeal for many people, at least by virtue of, of them, they're coming to me and saying, "Hey, we come here to see the elephants because where mm-hmm. else, where else will will a person have an opportunity to get up close and personal with an elephant other than a zoo? And even then, your 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 ability to get close to them is going to be limited." So. Yeah, um, that makes total then, sense. Yeah, yeah, and then our elephants come from Asia, you know. So it's just this this appeal. And Ringling was able to to tap into and to market this this grandiose appeal um, by virtue of our performers being from all over the world, and yeah, and it, it it made it magical for for uh, for many people. What turns <laughs> this got a weird question. What turns a circus on? What turns you on as a circus performer? And what what do you think, with all your experience, the circus exists to do? Is it? Uh, I mean, I'm thinking like there's a difference between an actor doing the crucible and and saying, "Hey, I'm I'm doing the crucible on stage, and I really feel the message of this," versus uh, doing like Mel Brooks, the producers. You know, like uh, this is just pure delight and enjoyment. I mean, what is a circus's payoff for the performers? What gets them off? What is the appeal of it to them? Do you think? I I can I can speak from from my perspective. Sure. Now, if I if I were a performer, I would probably say just being able to to continue to do something that I'm very passionate about. Um, an example once again would be Nick Willenda. Nick Nick Willenda uh, says, you know, if he dies, he wants to die walking on the wire. Mm-hmm. I mean, he if yeah. if that's the way he's going to go, he wants to go that way. So for, for many of these performers, this is what they're passionate about. And for me, um, just, just being able to rub elbows with some of the most incredible people on the planet, I literally, my coworkers are literally superheroes. 
I mean, we can have, when you see some of the stuff that these people are able to do, it's incredible. And so it's just, to me, it, it, it just, it adds to the fact that, that humans, people are really incredible creatures Mm. When we can, when we can really put our minds to, to, to doing something and, and dedicating, dedicating ourselves to that craft, it just, it just uh, allows for me to, to realize how wonderful this, this world is and, and, and how wonderful it is to, to be able to have a, a small portion of that world yeah. Yeah. to be brought into an arena where, where you can have a, a little piece of, of China, Brazil and Russia mm. and, and, mm and 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 africa and and all of that stuff happening right here in this little spot for this moment in time and it's like uh it's like a snow globe you know yeah having all of these performers in a in a snow globe for for a brief moment in, in time where people will have an opportunity to uh to experience that what do you consider yourself ty are you an actor still are you a ringmaster first what how would you identify yourself you know, Chris, I, as, as I'm growing to, to, to know myself, I identify, I identify myself as myself. Yeah. I am, I cannot say, you know, where I cannot say that I am a ringmaster as much as I can say I'm Ty who can step in into that, that place to be a ringmaster. So what I'm learning is really the acceptance of myself is where the appeal is for mm. people. Mm. Um. I'm going to give you a funny story and I'm, and, and it's going to kind of add to, to what I'm saying. So um, one of the shows that I was doing, there's a, there's a, a, a contraption. It's, it's a little mechanical, mechanical box that I can, it has steps on it. It's about six feet high, five feet high. And I can, I can step onto it. And there's actually a man on the inside and it, it, it kind of looks like um <laughs> R2D2. I, I know. I don't remember. I don't. Which one was the little, the little box, the yeah. little trash can? What, is yeah. it R2D2? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Kind of looks like him, but I could stand on top of it, and okay. uh, and there's a man on the inside, and he he rides around. So it's just a mechanical device that allowed for me to 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 travel the circus floor, and uh, and and I couldn't understand why every time I would pass my my dancers, they were just cracking up, laughing. Uh, everyone i'm like what is going on <laughs> well my my star clown his name is bello knock i don't know if you're yeah you're bello, with bello sure yeah, yeah bello yeah. bello climbed up climbed up the uh the, the little the little thing that i was on and he spun me around turns out that i split my pants from the crotch all the way to my waistband in the back and i was ass out <laughs> and so when he turned me around and the audience saw, of course I had on boxers, but the audience yeah. saw, they laughed. And it, it, was, it was a pivotal moment for me. It allowed for me, where I thought I would be embarrassed, I realized that people want real. People love to be able to identify with realness. And that's why I say, I will always be true to who I am and not necessarily uh, true to a character. Mm. Because people can identify with that and, and they like that. They love when I make mistakes, you know, I might, I might bite my tongue and they love it. 
And I just, it just allows for me to be, to settle into myself and to, and to be true to myself. So um, I, I don't know if that's answering your question. It is. It, no, it totally answers it. And I, okay. and I love that you took a long way getting there because that's a, that's an incredible story. And I, and that adds so much dimension to it. Um, but let me ask this in a different way. Would you take a musical theater role if it was offered to you? Absolutely. So you'd take anything. Yeah. It just depends. You go where the, where the action is. I go where the action is and I go where my heart is. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, it's, I, I, I love performing and, uh, and I'll do what it takes, you know, but uh, there is, a, there's a part of me, there are certain lines that I won't cross just by virtue of who I am. Certain things that I, you know, that I won't do. Um, like what? I, I won't, I won't sacrifice my, my morals for mm. a position. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to, and and this is this has nothing to do with with what other people may choose to do. But I won't take a role where where I, you know, be asked to to do something that I that I uh, that 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 I'm just against morally. You know, so uh, I, I, no, I'm just no thinking of, of the most extreme example I can think of. So I, I just have to ask: Would you play Othello if it was offered to you? Being that you have to strangle Desdemona. <sighs> Yes, <laughs> it is Othello. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I probably would. Yeah, I don't blame you. I mean, yeah, it's a it, yeah, right. It's it's certainly not an exploitive role where it's like you know you're degrading yourself necessarily by doing it. it is showing that's that's something. Yeah. yeah, um, Ty, I can't let you go without without diving a little bit into the military side of things. Um. So and thank you for being generous with your time. But I I I, I really gotta I, I do wanna get at this because as I tend to do, I did not start this in chronological order and I'm paying the price for it now. So um your dad was in was a career army guy, wasn't he? Yes, he was. And sisters you, as well. Sisters as well. Did you grow up on bases then your whole life, or had he settled at that point? It settled at that point. And okay. um, yeah, we, I, we did travel. We did travel quite a bit, but, but by the time I was born, my father, um, he, he had gotten out of the military and, um, and uh, was one of the first African-American state troopers uh, in the seventies here in South Carolina. So wow. uh, he went into law enforcement. Yeah. What was it like growing up in that house? Um, growing up in the house of uh, an army, a career army guy, and you know a state trooper. I mean, with all mm-hmm. that implies, with all the tension of seeing him go out the door and all that. What, what did that? What, what were the the pros and cons of that in your experience? I'd, I'd love to see him go because when my father would cut my butt, my father was a disciplinarian. I tell you, and I'm I'm very thankful for that. Um, structure. Yeah, my father, he pulled me to the side one day and he said, hey, he said, what do you want to do with your life? I said, well, I want to go to college. He said, how do you plan to pay for it? Hmm. So, you know, my father was he was he was straight laced, very honorable guy, um, you know, and, and I'm really thankful for the discipline. You know, he would he would make me get up, you know, and and uh, early in the morning and 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 work. You know, uh, so I was I joined the military when I was 16, as a matter of fact, wow. but I didn't get sworn in until I was 18. 
So my father was very structured. Uh, I'm very thankful for for my discipline and uh, and and my upbringing. Did he want you to join the military? Was he in favor? Yes. Was he pushing you to do it? Okay. Yes. Yes. Yeah. He was. He 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 did all things military. All things military. Love the did- military. He even. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. You're good. No, no. Um, I, I was going to ask though, did you want to follow in his footsteps? Did you see an appeal in following his footsteps or was that kind of all you knew at that point? That was all I knew. And in fact, you know, in fact, my decision to, uh, to separate from the military, um, he, we fought and I told him, I said, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and get out of the military because I want to do some things that I want to do with my life. And he, he he didn't like that at all, but but you know once again I am thankful because uh, he he allowed for me to make decisions when that were better for me when I when I didn't know that they would probably be so I'm very thankful for the fact that uh, that he steered me in the direction of of going into the military but I'm also thankful that you know as I became a man you know I um I. I learned enough from him to know what it meant to be a man and to know what it meant to stand my ground. And so mm-hmm. even, even at, uh, even at his, you know, his, uh, his contention with my choosing to get out, I, um, I, I stood my ground and he finally acquiesced and, and realized that it was what I was going to do. And then when I later came back and, and showed him the, uh, the article where I'd become the ringmaster for Ringling Brothers, mm-hmm. he was equally proud. Was he? So, yeah, and yeah, and then I lost him in 2013. But uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no, that's a great. I. He's a good man. He is a good man. Was he the the dominant presence in the house? Was it his rules? Was it was that the kind of house it was? Yes, um, but he was very. Uh, respectful of of my my mother being the help meet as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. So when when he was on base, when he was at home, you know, it was the way he expected for things to to be. And when he when he was not there, then his lieutenant, my mom, would mm-hmm. would would step in and 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 make things happen. So uh, I'm very thankful for my for the structure of my family. That's a, yeah no there's there's no no substitute for that there's yeah I I completely um I think that's a true privilege to have such a good unified parenting um situation to grow up in but I want to ask you how you've seen that play out now the rest of your life so as a performer um what has it meant for you to have had you know, certainly the discipline and all that, um, and certainly the posture and the poise and, and all that certainly helped you in the audition. But what what is it meant to have that as your background? Because that is such a radically different background, certainly than so many of the circus folk you're around, but even in general in the performing arts, that's a very different background to come from. So what has that meant? What have has there been a learning curve has it been like trying to catch up and make up for lost time the things you weren't exposed to earlier or has it helped you and has the advantage been significant coming from that background i think the i think it's been uh i've had an advantage 
I, I remember reading, um, I was in the third grade. I remember reading a, a sign that my teacher had in the room. Discipline is the training which makes punishment unnecessary. Mm. And I, I am just so thankful for, for the discipline and, and the background that I've had because it's helped me immensely, uh, especially with the, the rigors of, of being a ringmaster and all that it, it entails. So, um, I'm, I'm going to totally I, speculate. Sorry. I'm going to totally speculate okay, for no, one second. No, good, when you good. say you do 450 shows in 365 days, mm-hmm. there's not really a lot of time for complaining, <laughs> right? I mean, the military has to help with that in some way, right? Correct. <laughs> yeah. There's not a whole lot of time for complaining. You got to get up and go. And that what is you, literal. Oh, that's yeah, literal. 450 yeah. shows. That, that, that's, that's insane. That, 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 no, I, I, I believe, I totally believe you. And that's, Sounds as grueling as it can get. Um, what did you do in the army? What was your job? I was. Uh, I started off as a, a sixty-three whiskey, which uh, which was a light wheel mechanic. And then um, after getting my commission, I went through a military academy to get my commission. I ended up um, going into an ordnance unit. So How'd you like it? And explosives. I liked. I liked. It much I, I like the military much better now that I'm looking back over it, <laughs> uh, looking back onto it. I mean, the the grind, the the getting up at four o'clock in the morning and running five miles, six miles before breakfast, and and it was tough. You know, it was tough. And I can't. I have to say that it wasn't. It wasn't necessarily my choosing, but it was something that that I knew to be. Uh, I, 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 it was what I knew because my father, you know, and, and instilled that in us. But, um, but once again, I am, I am fortunate to have experienced it. And I think every young man should have some experience with the disciplines um, afforded by, by the structure of a military or something, something akin to, to the military. So I'm, I'm very thankful for it. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you a question. There's no way that you can answer, but I'll ask it anyway. Who would you be and what would you be doing if you hadn't done that? Would anything be different? I, you know, I, that, I can't answer that. I cannot say. Um, I, I can only say that I would, uh, I, I'd hope to be, I would have hoped to have been the same person that I am now. And that's by virtue of, <clears throat> By a virtue of someone who goes after his his heart, goes after what it is that he wants, and and I can only say that I I am who I am because of you know yeah. everything that I just decided to go after. So yeah, it's hard to know I, what I, if. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I think it is. Um, Ty, this is uh, this has been incredible. I, I I've enjoyed the shit out of this. Thank you so much. <laughs> For sitting down talking. Listen, if people want to follow you, want to know what you're up to, is there some place they should go? Is there something they should do just to keep tabs on you or hear about what you're doing? Wow, that's a really, really tough question, um, Chris. And the reason I say that is because I'm I'm not very keen on on um, on the social media platforms. Yeah, you don't want to be stopped on the street. Yeah, I know. I well, know. Yeah. <laughs> not just that. Not just that. I have my issues with, uh, you know, some of the things that uh, that are happening with these with these platforms that I'm yeah. not really, yeah, I'm not really happy about. 
But uh, for the most part, you know, a person can 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 just Google me and 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 see what I'm in into next. Uh, the next the next gig that I will be doing is going to be um, it's going to be uh, believe it or not, it's going to be a show for the Shriners uh, in um, in November. And I think that's going to be in Arizona, I believe. Oh, wow. All right. So, uh, yeah, I wish I could give you more than that. But I, I unfortunately, I don't do the Instagram. I don't do Facebook. Yeah. Kind of it's, boring when it comes to that. No, I love it. I love it. It's, it's, uh, there's, you're, you're a rare beast that doesn't do that. And it's, um, and I love that you're, I love your reasons for doing it. I think probably a lot of people are nodding enviously that you've shied away from it. Um, but timing I mean, also the nice thing is you've kind of, you don't really have that much to prove. <laughs> so it's nice. You know, people can come find you when they need to. And, uh, and God knows I'll, um, I can't wait to work with you at some point in the near future. Um, dude, this has been a blast. Thank you so much for coming on. Hey, thank you, Chris. I, I really enjoyed it as well. Thank you. That was the savage wonder of Ty McFarland. What a great dude. I, I really cannot wait to work with him at some point. I don't know what that is. I know we kept whispering sweet nothings to each other in that episode, and I'm like, uh, I'll, I will look for reasons to bring him up from South Carolina or, God forbid, go to South Carolina. Because, um, yeah, I think he's super talented, interesting. Dude with an amazing skill set uh, that is very malleable and can fit into a lot of different formats so anyway very intrigued by the possibilities of working with ty and uh and i hope you guys enjoyed that episode um i sure as hell did it's pretty cool right hearing about circus stuff i mean what a what a wild world you know i mean all artistic media has its own culture and its own you know background and all that circus is fucking wild you know it's been a long time since i've been at ringling brothers i don't think i was uh i don't think i've been there since i was a little kid but um, yeah, I was trying to harken back to that and think about all the different aspects, all the different rings in the circus. And uh, I, I, I honestly could have talked about that for another three hours with Ty. If I didn't feel like I was imposing on the rest of his day, I, I would have. Because yeah, I and not, not that he was, I'm not trying to say he was anxious to get off or anything like that. But, I, you know, sometimes I just get the feeling like, eh, I don't want to totally impose on him that much. Um, but I would love to talk a little more about circus. I think it's just so so freaking cool. I should say that I did actually go to the circus later that very same night, uh, a small circus uh, that was doing a show in uh, in the city, in New York City. And uh, having talked with Ty just earlier, it made it a very, very cool experience. Definitely uh, enriched my appreciation for it. Anyway, so, uh, and now you guys can't even follow him. He has nothing for you guys to follow. But don't worry, if, if Ty does stuff with us, we'll promote the shit out of him. He won't need his own social media for that. <laughs> okay, uh, what stuff should you know about? You really should be subscribed to the Savage Wonder Literary Blog. You can do that by going to vetrep.org, V-E-T-R-E-P.org, vetrep.org. Scroll partway down the homepage. You will see the option to subscribe for free to the literary blog. And what that means is every day, seven days a week, you will get a little piece of veteran writing in your email inbox, followed by a bunch of shameless plugs telling you about all the different stuff we have going on 
and I think you'll enjoy it. And it's a great way to stay in the loop. And we appreciate all the feedback we get on it. It's a great way for you to discover new veteran authors and enjoy, or new veteran writers, I should say. Sometimes they're also authors, as well as um, you know, enjoying authors you already know and love, and seeing new work that they've put out, or sometimes some oldies but goodies. Um, and I'm also really thrilled that we have a lot more Vietnam veterans that are starting to get on the platform. That's very cool because it's really a uh, it's a great medium. Okay, so check it out, vetrep.org, V-E-T-R-E-P.org, vetrep.org. Okay, what else do I need to tell you? Well, nothing. I need to thank our producer, Mike Neal, for putting this episode together. I'm Christopher Paul Meyer. On behalf of everyone here at Veterans Repertory Theater, see you next time when we will dive further into the savage wonder of veterans in the arts.